0: Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave Dagostino. I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Jim Rooney. This is Toe the Rubber, episode 406 on our network. Happy New Year, and Merry Christmas to everybody in our audience. Um, before we get going, just want to remind our audience of the new format. We have two very uh, intriguing sponsors right now with Liquid IV and Zencaster. We're we'll going to be doing a couple ad reads in, in a few seconds here. Please support it. Don't fast forward through it. Listen to them about 90 seconds per uh, two great products that are supporting our cause and want to support our 62,000 plus followers. Also, we're going to plug our other two sponsors here with with the uh, Blackout Coffee and our Jaw Bats, new one. So uh, before we do that, though, I just want to welcome Jim. Jim, welcome back to your show. Well, thank you, Dave.
1: Hello, a, everybody. Hope you all had a
0: great holiday. Yeah, you had a little vacation, though, before uh, in between, right? I saw you on some tropical
1: islands. Yeah, we did a little family uh, gathering down in Costa Rica. and we, we had a ph- phenomenal time.
0: Yeah, and I noticed uh, even though you were you were uh, playing hurt, you, you almost smiled in every picture. I caught every picture out there.
1: So you, yeah, you, I did my best. Or, or maybe they had one of those Google phones where they can fix everything. Oh,
0: they did? I didn't even think about <laughs> I don't that. know. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't think about that. All right, let's, let's get to our ad reads here, then right to our content. Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being. Their hydration multiplier is a great-tasting, non-GMO electrolyte drink mix powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water alone. Hydration isn't only for people training for championships and marathons. It's about daily maintenance. I use it when I travel, watch my kids play in soccer or basketball games, for back-to-back conference calls, or even neighborhood walks. Proper functional hydration is essential, and Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. For me, it's the Liquid IV flavors. They offer 12 unique flavors, from strawberry lemonade to Concord grape, my favorite, acai berry. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster And more efficiently than water alone, it contains five essential vitamins with three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks. It's made from quality ingredients, non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. That's why I'm asking you, take a look at this. This is for real people. It's got real flavors. It's real hydrating. And you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use our code RVG at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you stop When you shop better hydration today, using our promo code RVG at liquidiv.com. Zencaster. How to start podcasting with Zencaster. It's now the all-in-one solution making podcasting easy. It's the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Being a creator has never been easier. Why did I choose Zencaster? Three years ago, I had never listened to a podcast. Now, I've successfully produced almost 400 podcasts in the last two and a half years, all using Zencaster, and it's so easy. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4,000 videos with your guests. Feel a sense of zen knowing ZenCaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. And it's all in one. If you have thought about podcasting before and realize that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. What am I asking from you? Go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code, all capitals RVG, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Well, there's our two, two uh, ad reads there. We appreciate your support, Liquid IV and Zencaster. Also, our newest sponsor from the equipment industry is Jaw Bats, recently adopted by Major League Baseball, certified to be used in the league this year. So, Jaw Bats at checkout with Jaw Bats. Great maple bats they make. Tanner has one right now. He's been using it. He loves it. Very few grains in it, which is what you want. Use RVG, all caps, at checkout to get your discount there. All of our hosts will have one by the end of the week, so you'll be able to. We'll be able to flood the market with jaw bats and blackout coffee. Be awake, not woke. Make sure at checkout you use our code for for Jim Rooney's code here. Jim, your code is what? J I M.
1: Uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I uh, don't remember right now, but uh, I'll get it out right. there. I've got a handy. I'll make sure we've got it
0: set here for our audience. We've got for for Jim Rooney's. No, it's J A M E R, all caps twenty. So J A M E R all caps 20 at checkout, get 20% off your first coffee purchase on Jim Rooney, uh, this whole year, 2024, 15% in perpetuity. So with that, appreciate your, your patience there. Uh, but these are, these products are supporting our 62,800 subscribers now. So with that, let's get to our show here. What do you got in store for us today, Jim?
1: Well, as usual, um, uh, most mornings I do a lot of reading and researching and, and just things that interest me. And, I came across a Dr. Ishmael Gallo, who I spoke to for approximately two and a half hours the other morning. He's located out in California and he's agreed to become a a future guest of ours. We're going to work on the scheduling because uh, currently he put together a program called Baseball Flows. And all he discusses is the efficiency. He's a licensed physical therapist and he discusses the efficiency of moving correctly and how athleticism was born out of movement, not out of strength. And uh, it's quite interesting. If you go to his website, if you Google baseball flows uh, and sign up for his newsletter, you'll get the first introductory uh, explanation of of the birth and the concepts that uh, go behind baseball flows. And uh, I read through it and It's all about neuromuscular efficiency and, uh, other things of that nature. But the similarities with triple spin is, was just phenomenal for me because it's, it's all about using movement and proper movement to create force and to create force efficiently to the baseball, whether you're hitting it or throwing it. Are we, are we missing the
0: boat, not utilizing physical therapists more? I know we've, we've talked in the past with even some on one on your show, but, uh, It seems like we we could be more aligned as an industry in baseball with what you're talking about if we tapped into that a little bit more.
1: Well, I agree with you. That's why uh, I entered into the partnership with Vinny Perez, who had been a guest on our show up in the New York metropolitan area, because he's part of the hands-on application of Pitching Kinetics, the program that I implemented up there at a local facility. Um, I think the most important thing when you're dealing with physical therapists or athletic trainers or strength coaches is, um, you know, you can find a strength coach, for example, Christopher Romano, and he aligns with a lot of what your, your thought process is. And he goes over about the importance of efficiency of movement and how young kids can become better athletes. Uh, or you might, you know, run into a strength coach that, uh, maybe has a football background and everything's about, uh, you know the the four major compound movements and explosive type activities, so I think it's really what that individual has decided what path they wanted to educate themselves and how they want to apply their knowledge um, We've gone over a couple of stories in the past how u um, s physical therapy um in the in the uh, public sense well for the public in you know private uh, private sector was all about isolation exercises and then get them get the uh, affected areas uh, back to the ability they can work part as a unit and of course, when insurance runs out, then they don't really go into any of the closed chain kinetic exercise um so i mean you know it's not uh it's not just by luck that all of a sudden you know, I'm, I'm introduced to Vinnie Perez and then I speak with Dr. Gallo. It, it's the fact that, um, in my book, what they have to say is so important and the information has to get out there. Um, I saw recently that Dr. Gallo is going to be one of the presenters at some peak performance seminar. So he's starting to get out there and people are starting to catch on to uh, what he's saying. Uh, I don't know personally, who he's working with out in California. I do know that we had conversations about Mookie Betts and some of the things that Mookie Betts has, has applied through his teachings as far as hip mobility and things like that. Um, so it's, um, and, and, and you think of Mookie Betts, it made me think, look at the, um, look at the real up and coming superstars in the game of baseball right now you know, even though Mookie Betts is older, Mookie Betts isn't a big guy. Um, look at Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, uh, the phenom shortstop of the Reds was a Cruz? These guys are superior athletes, but they're, you know, they're not, they're not put together like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They are slender racehorse type athletes. And I bet you that if you put them into, uh, a program like Dr. Gallo's or you put them through some movement related testing, they move extremely well and their hips work off the charts. Phenomenal. Um, but you see those, those are the parts that, um, the general public isn't exposed to. They don't necessarily know what Mookie Betts is doing, you know, behind the scenes, but if some strength coach or Therapist comes out with a program and says, "Hey, this is how I train Roger Clemens." Then it gets back to that that you know age old question, which brings me to a a story I remember about Reggie Jackson. So, by the time Reggie Jackson came to the Yankees, signed the big free agent contract, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what how old he was, but I'm sure he was even if it was in his early thirties, maybe but he was probably in his 30s. And um Reggie Jackson, when he was younger, when he played at Arizona State, and when you saw him in an A's uniform, I mean, you know, the guy was pretty sculpted, but he was a tall, slender, strong athlete. He was quick. He was explosive. He was fast. He could throw from right field. And a story came out when he was with the Yankees and all of a sudden you saw how his body had changed. This guy was really put together. I mean, he was big and strong. Uh, he used to say that sometimes he'd always wore sleeves because he, he, he didn't want uh, uh, people to be distracted by the size of his forearms. <laughs> but my point is this, when he was being interviewed and asked about why the change in his programming, and why you know it's becoming so strength orientated? He stated that, listen, the older you get, the slower you're going to get. I'm not going to be as quick as when I was young. I'm not going to be as explosive because of quickness and speed. Uh, my reflexes aren't going to be as good. I'm getting older. It happens to everybody. So I had to improve another component that I had control over, and that is to get stronger. So. If we look between the lines of what Reggie Jackson said, he's stating as he gets older. Now, he's talking about into his 30s, mid-30s, and the whole thing. And yet, we, take, we took at that time those type of programs, and we started adapting them as um, the different kinds of programs that would be used for... Um, all ball players. So I can go back to 1979. I'm a freshman at Cornell University. And our strength program up until that time when I was in high school, it was not thought that pitchers should, you know, lift heavy weights. Okay? So that was the the feelings at the time. And then um I'm a freshman at Cornell, and we're introduced to uh, Nautilus training, the uh, old classic Nautilus uh, training machines. And everything's about, uh, it's strength training, but the machines are going to take you through a full range of motion. You're going to get stronger, but you're going to remain flexible. So this is good for baseball. So I trained the whole year at Cornell on Nautilus. And... Uh, when I transferred out of Cornell, I made a deal with my dad to see if I could get drafted. Uh, all the acceptable training protocols at that time was with the Nautilus equipment. Then I get to uh, pro ball with the Orioles. And I believe it was instructional ball 1981. It could have been instructional ball 1982. The... Uh, director of player development, director of scouting, the guy that ran the whole operation. He introduces uh, to all the players in instructional ball, a young man who uh, was part owner of a Nautilus facility uh, in Florida. He had been at the time a high school, very successful high school baseball coach in Florida. And, um, that fall he was named uh, unofficial strength coach for the Baltimore Orioles in the minor leagues. So we proceed to continue with Nautilus workouts. Well, the funny thing happens. Um, when I was in high school, of course the, you know, the hot pitcher of the time in New York was uh, Louisiana lightning, Ron Guidry. So we're talking about a guy that's like five foot 10, 165 pounds. The story goes that when the Yankees first implemented Nautilus training into their spring training weight room, Guidry walked in and he was like, what is this stuff? And the coaches were like, oh, this is a new training and this is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And Guidry went on the uh, bicep curl machine and, and put the whole stack on and did it like it was nothing. So, you know, they say that pound for pound, he was probably the strongest Yankee. But yet he was a slender, wiry, explosively fast. And you could see it in his pitching delivery. Um, I attempted as an amateur to emulate that. And we uh, in high school in basketball, we raised money and purchased the old uh, Leaper machine sponsored by Kent Benson and Bobby Knight. And it was, I guess, the first, uh, first makings of the hydraulic Kaiser type equipment. Um, that it, you would go into half squats and three-quarter squats and then go as fast as you can for 25 reps. And um, I had the thought in my mind, wow, if, I, if this could make you jump higher and be more explosive, that would make me way more explosive on the mound like Ron Guidry. So the basketball coach, since I played basketball in high school, gave me the key to the room that it was in, uh, they put it in a different room than weight room because they didn't want the football players to mess it up. And before school, I went in and I did a couple of sets on a leaper machine. Then on uh, study hall, I went in and did a couple of sets on a leaper machine. And then at recess, I went in, did a couple of sets on a leaper machine. Then before basketball practice, I did a couple of sets on the on the leaper machine after basketball practice. And this continued. And I will tell you, it worked phenomenally. Uh, I got to a point in my senior year of high school, I could dunk with either hands, and I was six foot tall at the time. And I was becoming more and more explosive. My velocity was going up, and and everything that I hoped for was occurring. And then, you know, as I said, you go to uh, Festmure Cornell and then uh, into pro ball. So over a three-year period of time, you're training on Nautilus, and you're not doing any type of periodization or interval training. You're going just continually training when it's time to train on Nautilus machines. So I graduated high school six foot six, one hundred and fifty-five pounds. Now we'll take into consideration um, you know, uh of Irish descent, so you know, you would say maybe I, you know, hit puberty a little late or matured a little late, but um Freshman year at Cornell, I was six two, one eighty five. 185. So, so through fall and winter training on Nautilus, I now was uh, 6'2", 185. Sophomore year of college, I was six two, one ninety five. Get into pro ball, I can remember weighing in at spring training about 195. At the end of the season, you're 187, 190. Um, go to my first spring, uh, second spring training. I'm two sixteen, And, um, you, you could see from pictures, I am obviously way bigger and stronger. I mean, with the old, uh, uh, Oriole drawstring pants, I used to wear size 40 waist to get my thighs in. Um, I was, I was pretty big. And yet, My my endurance, my strength levels, my ability to compete was all there, but little did I know at that time was that I'd become less explosive, less flexible, less the Ron Guidry that I wanted to be, and more the big strong Mike Flanagan you know type pitcher. And uh, at about that time, the um, Green Bay Packers put together a research project to know should they adapt Nautilus training principles uh, to their program. And what they came up was that Nautilus was an outstanding uh, training tool over about a three or four month period to gain um, basic overall strength.
0: Yeah. Is it because, it, I mean, the, when you're doing Nautilus, you don't have the balance component that you got to use with kettle balls or dumbbells or even with the, the bar but i would think though with somebody trying to develop that initial strength like you mentioned the form is so um proper let's say that you're going to get strong in whatever motion you're doing a little bit more easily so makes sense I yeah
1: think. it was it was one of the first pieces of equipment that uh, introduced the whole concept of uh, variable resistance yeah. i meaning, love that jumper though I, we had one of those too I yeah it. so meaning the uh the cam you know which was if they wanted to say in the shape of a nautilus shell, but it was just a cam. You you would almost say it looked more like a shape of a kidney. Uh, And the chain that went through that uh, cam would, uh, at the different parts of the movement, would apply the proper resistance, and it would change. So on your strongest point in the movement, it it would be the heaviest. On your weakest point in the movement, it would be, you know, not as heavy. So it would match it, so it would, they would think it's a clean, smooth uh, movement. Um, so the funny thing was is that you're, you're, we're talking about professional baseball here and, and major college sports, right? You know, and they adapt the training principle, which basically I'm not going to put it in a realm of a fad, but it was like everybody accepted it as this is the way baseball players should train. And then when the research was finally done on the, all the equipment, they were like, mm, maybe for a three-month period of time, but it's not, you know. you know." So think about a whole generation of people that trained that way, and it wasn't necessarily correct over the course of a full year. So we'll fast forward to nowadays, and we've become even more – strength-based, power-based in, in the game of baseball. Yeah. Everything's
0: fast, fast, you know, miles per hour, exit velocity.
1: Yeah. Um, and the quickest way, the quickest way to take a physically untrained person and show them immediate gratification is by getting them stronger. You're not getting them more efficiently. You're not necessarily keeping them healthy long-term. Then it's not necessarily gains that are going to stay there on a consistent level, okay? But we've gotten them stronger, okay? Went from 90 to 94. Exit velocity, you know, used to hit the ball 300 feet, now he's hitting it 400 feet. There's all these things of immediate gratification, and that gets attached, basically, because we're now living in a consumeristic society where if I have immediate gratification, I sell more products or I sell more theories or I sell more of myself. Oh, yeah. um, the, the, the term
0: that I hear you use a lot and maybe we can define it for the audience. You know, people like to stretch, people like to lift for strength, but that in between is that mobility where you have to have functional strength and functional flexibility, I guess. Is that, is that more of more what you promote?
1: Yes. And um, I'll relate a quick story to, Dr. Gallo conveyed to me the other day. So, um, Dr. Gallo signed out of a junior college, I believe in California with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, um, his first, uh, contact, whether it was mini camp or spring training, his first contact with uh, professional baseball was, Mickey Hatcher was one of the coaches and he basically said, listen, I don't care who you are or where you were drafted or of those, you know, this is, you know, put up or shut up time. And Dr. Gallo was like, wow, I love this place because it doesn't matter. I'm from junior college or where I was drafted. If I put my work in, I'm going to do, I'm going to do good. And immediately, what do you think occurred? Let's get this guy stronger. So he related the story where about three years passed and somebody he he played high school ball with came to see one of his minor league games. And after the game said, uh, why would you change your swing? And Dr. Gallo said, I didn't change my swing. And he goes, yeah, your swing's totally different. Well, in the process of, of the strength training, he had, he had put on over a three-year period, four-year period, you know, 20, 25 pounds of muscle. So, of course, his swing was going to be different. All right, you know there's muscle now in the, in the areas where there used to be loose rhythmic uh, movement patterns. So uh, I'm really looking forward. Uh, hopefully, he's on a little bit of a of a, a tour right now. Uh, we're hoping that uh, if it comes to pass uh, within a month or so, we'll have Doctor Gallo on, and um, I'm I'm I guarantee the audience will be overwhelmed with some of the things he has to show. Yeah. In the meantime, like I said, you can go to Baseball Flows or Google it and sign up for his newsletter and and uh, introduce yourself to some of the things that he talks about. Um, and like I said, it's very similar to my thoughts on uh, Triple Spin and, and all the talks we've had in the past about keto and movement and efficient movement and creating force and controlling force and, and the whole thing. Yeah, um, I love
0: it. I looked at when you sent me that a few days back. I, I did some research on him in anticipation that that we'd have him on eventually. But a lot of interesting stuff, and I saw the same connection not just with your triple spin, but you mentioned a keto. I'm in the midst of reading a whole bunch of things on the Sadahara O style of, of hitting and whatnot. Again, it can't be for everybody, you know, the, the high leg kick. But there's some key components in there that match what you say in regards to pitching and overall movement that resonate. And I think you even commented, I think I put one of them online with Tanner and blue training with their hitting, just trying to get, get a sense of balance. Yeah. With the yeah. One leg. So now we, we're, we're talking training here in this sense, but you, you have another topic that uh, we, we, we've touched on with, with Jim Cott. He has a tie with, with this particular country. And we actually, with our group one-on-one happen to be involved now with, with some recruiting, for this particular country, in part because of the way they train their young baseball players. And, and I won't spoil the punchline with it, but um, you, you want to segue into your, your thoughts on the Netherlands and the way they, they train with the baseballs?
1: Yeah. Um, way before I even read this research, okay, because, it, you know, it goes hand in hand that when I talk about when, you know, we're having four-year-old kids play t-ball and they can't physically put their hand around a major league baseball, but yet yeah, that's the ball we're playing with. Um, but excuse me. <clears throat> if I go back to my time um, in Bologna, Italy, uh, in the professional leagues in in uh, Italy, and I see the uh, uh, how the Italians trained and what they did. And at the time, I mean, we're talking the late 90s. in uh, In international baseball, just before it was going to be introduced as an Olympic sport. Italy produced a tremendous amount of, of quality hitters. Um, the other country that was pr- pretty advanced in baseball was Australia, and they had, a, they had a big league going on, and a lot of Americans went back and forth. And The other country, which was a powerhouse in Europe, was the Netherlands, and it was due to their pitching. Now, I don't necessarily know the exact population of the Netherlands, but it's not really a big country. And to think that they started producing uh, a high quality amount of good pitchers that catapulted them to the top in, in Europe and the rest of the world as far as uh, international competitions concerned. And then developed a couple of big league pitchers. Themselves, and then there's the connection later on with Curacao, and Curacao then uh, followed a lot of the Netherlands' training protocols. And there's a fair amount of pitchers from Curacao, little island, that have pitched in big leagues, shortstops too. Yeah, and um,
0: so and we, we see the Netherlands in the Little League World Series more, more, I mean, probably in the last ten years than prior pa- prior times as well. Though they've been a regular in the finals,
1: right? The last I would say the last four or five years. So when you, when you dive into their, um, their training protocols, the one thing that jumps out to, for me, okay. And, uh, is that in their youth development, they use smaller baseballs, meaning not only a uh, smaller in weight, but in circumference. And, uh, Not that there was any research done. This is, to them, this is what made common sense. You're you're talking about young kids. They're smaller than adults and and the whole thing. Just like we've talked about other sports, they all use a smaller ball or puck or lighter puck or smaller stick or whatever they're playing, okay? They downsize the equipment uh, in order for uh, um, the young player to be able to move efficiently and correctly. you know, even, even it made me think about, you know, we think that in Little League, so Little League used to be 8 to 12 years old, right? And we play on a, uh, a field where the bases are 60 feet apart and the pitching round's 45 feet. But when you go to these t-ball leagues now that have four and five-year-olds, they're playing on the Little League field. So how how does a four-year-old feel on a field that was designed for 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds? So there, there's all kinds of things that just don't fit. They, just, they, they weren't thought out. Nobody applied any logic or reason to it. It's just that's the way it is, right? So um, sure enough, I come up with, with, a, with a couple of studies in my reading, and a lot of people that know uh, baseball research and the Dr. Andrews Clinic and the whole thing, um, Fleissick, I forget his first name. So they came out with a study in 2011. All right. And, And basically what they found was not only did using smaller balls in youth development improve throwing mechanics, but it reduced many components that you would say, are stressful on the arm, so it reduced overall stress. Now think about this: when a when a person gets into pro ball, or now even some advanced amateur ball with with the uh, onset of Justin Arndtov's DVS system and other things, people are attempting all kinds of high speed photography, slow motion, this, and all these other stuff that is available to the professional athlete, right? And they're attempting, at least when that technology was first introduced, they were attempting to find ways to reduce stress on the throwing arm. And they're coming up with all these high advanced training techniques and the whole thing. I have a question for you. We go don't ahead. Have break your flow. No, go ahead. So
0: everything that you're saying, I, and I, we have a very intelligent audience. I'm, I'm thinking they're all shaking their head right now. That makes sense. It's it's. Uh, you're You're like complicated simplicity, I mean you the way you say it, the way you break it down, it's like Hubie Brown in basketball form I'm like yeah why why didn't anybody else think of that it's it makes logical sense, but so my question is, why on earth, knowing all this stuff, do our does our amateur pitcher and professional pitcher development revolve around heavier balls well. I know you get, that's kind of a, I guess that can be rhetorical, but
1: uh, well, here, here's the thing. There's other research that shows that the use of weighted balls can also be beneficial in throwing mechanics, but I'm not talking about throwing a two pound ball. I'm talking about a, a six ounce ball or seven ounce ball.
0: Yeah. You one know. ounce one ounce heavier one ounce lighter possible. yeah and and
1: and and there's different reasons for that which which I'll go into in a second, but <clears throat> excuse me as far as the <clears throat> the smaller balls <clears throat> so over here in the United States, we're trying to figure out ways to uh reduce injuries, okay, and let's say that's behind the scenes work um in the current analytical model, you know everything's basically replaceable based on war and different things like that so they're just the the modern g m and development system is is basically just dealing with what it has and um so you wouldn't necessarily think that they're trying to reduce injuries but behind the scenes, there's people that are trying to figure out ways to uh solve these type of problems and if there's one simple thing to do, because as Vinnie Perez has said in the past, uh, Dr. Ahmed doing 25 to 30 Tommy Johns on teenagers a month currently, all of that damage didn't happen when they were 13 or 14 or 18 or whatever. All that damage happened, it accumulated over since the first day they started playing baseball and doing things um, incorrectly not moving efficiently and correctly um, because we're attempting to create force and we're not strong enough yet. So the simple introduction of a smaller baseball solves that problem in youth development. Why don't we do it? Money. Exactly. It relates back to In the amateur baseball market in the early 90s, Easton and Worth were two aluminum bat companies that dominated the market share, dominated the market share. And all the research showed that it was making baseball too dangerous on a youth level. So the question was, why don't we go back to using wood bats or composite bats? Okay. Wooden composite bats that won't crack. And the reason it didn't happen, in my opinion, was because Easton or Worth did not have a quality composite bat to put on the market. So they would have lost market share. So over time, because they were forced to uh, because of different injuries that were taking place in youth baseball, including some deaths of pitchers, so all of a sudden we have a, a pitcher's vest so that we protect the young pitcher's heart you know in the from getting a direct blow. Um, and over time, they figured out how to Reduce the effectiveness. So now you have the USA bat and the USSA bat. And so they, they corrected the, uh, if you want to judge it, by exit velocity uh, for the youth levels, So the ball doesn't come off the bat as quick. But they still retained their market share. You see?
0: Yep. So
1: if that's what happened with bats, maybe that's the answer. Why haven't we introduced a smaller baseball in youth development? Um, oh, without
0: question. Because you even think of Little League baseball, it's global. Yeah. So we're not talking – I mean, even back when Easton and Worth, I remember now every kid has three bats. When when I was coming through Little League and even, uh, you know, no, you didn't get your own bat until you were good. Everybody – we had three bats we shared as a team.
1: Yeah. And they yeah, were all exactly. Easton. Exactly. Um. So, so that's the thing that, that you know, once again – Why hasn't it been adapted? I mean, there's just things that, you know, and, and I could throw the philosophy out there that baseball as a whole, they they always think that uh, every baseball team, every baseball organization at every level wants you to believe that the way they do things is better than the other guy doing things because everybody's recruiting, everybody's trying to find better players. Um, you know the 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 sharing of information the sharing of knowledge of different training protocols uh, you know the, the the overall air of um of community and working together that you might see in the NFL you know even in the money making operation of the NFL you don't see it in baseball you know you don't see it everybody has their own way of doing things that's why eventually you've seen baseball executives thrown in jail or indicted for stealing information or stealing computers or stealing access. Everybody you know, thinks that is a way to get ahead. Um, but a simple thing like if we're going to have four and five-year-old kids play t-ball, let's get them a smaller baseball so that we can improve their throwing mechanics and reduce the stress levels on their arm.
0: Yeah, especially with the amount of time they're – they're playing, you're seeing it now because you've now gotten involved heavily with the development of, of young players, which the, the, the youth community around you is so lucky to have you. After 20 years of coaching collegiately, I did that and it was eye-opening what we're trying to see. But I find that everybody, there's such an inertia for immediate success that parents all, often fall prey to what you started this podcast with. We're talking about the, you know, let's get stronger with whatever gives them the immediate gratification that they're wanting to see. And there's so much of that around now. And kids don't want to practice. They, when, they, when I'm talking practice, you, it's not, I mean to sound like Alan Iverson here, but um, you know, the team practice where there's, you know, two, three days a week, uh, four or five, whatever it may be. Instead, these kids may practice one day a week as a team, but they're out there playing six, eight games on a weekend.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So reducing and, stress would be phenomenal. And they're and they're doing it at ages that they, they, they shouldn't be asked you shouldn't ask a six year old or seven year old. I mean, like I said, there's seven year old, eight year old travel teams. Oh yeah. And, elite and, elite travel teams. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it's just it's just um we've talked about in the past the bounce back effect. Whether it starts at the lower levels and bounces up to the big leagues, and then it bounces back from the big leagues down, but um, if a if a highly successful doctor in the New York metropolitan area is, is doing twenty five to thirty Tommy Johns on teenagers a month, um, the system's broken. It, it can't go on this way, um, and it and it affects all the way up. To uh, the conversations we had before uh, Christmas about um, Yamamoto getting so much money, because we we we've we've abandoned the quality development of young pitchers. It's all yeah. about immediate gratification and the whole thing, um, you know. And it's sad because i I've seen I've seen people who are quality quality coaches and have the ability to share with people very good information very good training and the whole thing. And they work out of outstanding facilities. We're talking some of the best facilities, you know, some of these training facilities could rival a a, training, a training facility in the SEC. And, and yet, because they have to pay their overhead and they got to pay their bills every month and pay their workers and everything like that. There's still a component of what they do. That's all based upon velocity and throwing harder. Um, and that's the sad thing that, you know, uh, the, the fact that they even have to go into that realm is, is, is sad. It's sad, but, um, but they run into the same things that I run into. I've had, I've had parents come to me, bring their 12-year-old son, and we go through our trial and evaluation. I explain to them how I can help them, what needs to be worked on, and the whole thing. And the dad says, how soon, how soon will you have him throwing four to five miles an hour harder? And I say, no, at the start, that's not the goal. Here's the things that we got to do. That stuff will take care of itself. I show them all the research, the logic, everything. I explain to them the differences between, um, you know, perceived velocity and forced velocity that we've spoken of. And then I never see that young player again because the dad goes to the guy who's going to tell him exactly what he wants to hear and for his son to throw – you know, 46 miles an hour faster so he can strike out more people and and get more recognition when he's, you know, 12 years old. Um, That's it.
0: That's a message that all parents that are listening to this, there's no glory in your, your child becoming the greatest 12-year-old of all time. Um, ask Cody Webster. If you don't remember that name, look up Little League Baseball World Series or Little League Baseball World Series history. But it's great to be good, but uh, there's so much external – reinforcement out there the wrong external reinforcement with these kids as you mentioned the exit velocity rings every weekend that uh we're caught up in the wrong the wrong type of stuff to to recapture really if, if we're just talking pitching um kevin kernan uh, just put an article out today on ball nine uh, our our host of coaching kernan outlining the us having to outsource our pitchers now to japan and korea and i put a comment just a little while ago, it's much like the rest of the industry in our country right now. We, we've got to get back to basics with 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 uh, pitching and development in the U.S. And I think I think you're, if not the answer, one of the many important answers in this equation, Jim. So I hope I encourage you to keep pushing.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, in the, in the next couple of days, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna post a, a kind of a generic standard four week throwing schedule to get little league Eight pitchers, you know, ready for the season. Uh, I do that currently uh, with uh, three or four different travel organizations, and as well as uh, people that come to my facility. Give us a preview, if you don't mind, a little bit. If you don't, if we do that here. Yeah, ba- basically. I mean, it's it's tough with the visual, but, but basically, your goal at the end of four to five weeks for kids that are, I mean, I'll, I'll go down to eight, but you know, little league age, eight to twelve years old is. You want to be able to throw about a twenty-five pitch pen with fastballs and changeups, at the end of that four- or five-week period. So the first two weeks should just be an interval throwing program. You know, the first week at 45 and 60 feet, 25 throws, let's say, um, working on the things that we've always discussed, elbow up to the shoulder, center of gravity, your belly button, your navel, past your front hip, all the things that we've talked about in the past, hinging properly, let the arm go along for the ride. This is an exercise. It's not a competition um, and then that second week, move it out to 45, 60 and 90, uh, third week comes, we start adding, and and this is a program that we, we can accomplish it throwing two to three times a week, uh, for that age group. Um, and then the, the third week we start doing our interval throwing program. And one day of the week do a little flat ground where you're, uh, going over your delivery, your rhythm and timing, your balance, your direction. Uh, and then another day that week, go into your light bullpen. Start out with, for the young kid, about a fifteen pitch pen. Um, don't force it. Evaluate the situation. Some guys, you know, could start out with ten pitches and be fine. Fastballs, and the goal being at the uh, end of that fourth or fifth week to be in that twenty-five pitch area. And then you, you're going to be you're going to be good to go. You know, as far as your season has started. Um, but the whole thing is that. I don't necessarily like to put parameters on it, but with the thought process of, especially in the first two weeks, let's go at around 70 to 80% effort. Now, it's not an exact science, but we're not there attempting to use our arm and throw the ball as hard as we can. We're attempting to move efficiently and let the arm go for the ride. And once we start generating that feeling and know exactly how it is, then you're going to get more carry over into when you, you know, get up on the mound and you're doing your thing. Um, So that's a basic generic part. And, but one of the things that have popped up since I've been doing this program with, uh, with young pitchers is, um, is is generally, especially in a group setting, um, you see an overall lack of focus. And uh, what's amazing about it is even some of the kids I've worked with uh, for a couple of years, and we talk about the beauty of baseball is the only thing that matters is the next pitch. So focus on the next pitch, whether you're going to throw it, hit it, or catch it. Uh, and then they get in that group. Now, we do understand in a group dynamic, there's some individuals that learn better in a group because they don't feel like the spotlight's on them and different things like that. And there's other people that, Uh, are much more focused and have a better attention span when they're in a private setting, one-on-one. But in general, here's the thing that I want to uh, draw a correlation to. One of the factors that um, high-performing individuals share, and it's come out more and more, if you want to, you know, in the public, they're known as sports psychologists, but in baseball, they found that um, whether it be the Latin players or some of the younger players, they don't want to go to a psychologist. They don't want to say, you know, as they're being evaluated, you know, I got to go to a shrink. Yeah, Matismo. Yeah. So, th- so they're, called, um, they're called sports performance specialists. Nice. So the sports performance specialists, one of the things that have come out universally to high-achieving individuals in any aspect of sport or in life, is they use they use the term grit or 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 the uh overall persistence to continue to to battle to go to go to go and what i want young people to understand is when you're 8 9 10 years old this whole uh concept of persistence or grit that's um that's a pretty um advanced concept to, for them to wrap their brain around. Um, you know, so you talk about, you know, your long-term success. And they're not even thinking past tonight's dinner. Man. Yeah, they don't even know what they're having for dinner. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the strangest thing happens. If you focus at the task at hand, you break down all these long-term goals Into these small little tasks. And if you can learn to focus on that task, then you're successful at it. Then you build onto the next task and you focus on it.
0: We use the phrase, I think I talked to Dr. Rickis about this, um, with the phrase we use is do the next right thing. Right. That's the most perfect you're ever going to be.
1: Yes. And then as you're, as you're younger and you start to mature one, you've, you've developed the ability to focus, to feel, to be part of the process. And then these little successes build up and next thing you know, you have a little bit more success on top of it. Just like, uh, as I say, Dr. C, the old, the, uh, psychologist from the University of Chicago with the book flow and you're having fun, you are receiving joy out of the task at hand, which then increases your ability to focus as we increase our ability to focus, these successes start mounting and mounting and mounting. And next thing you know, we are showing the characteristics of persistence and grit without even realizing it.
0: Yeah. It can't be a force thing. People see that and they, right away when you think grit, if you say that to a kid, there's an intensity, there's an anger and you can't manufacture that stuff. Not at that young age. As you get older and you learn flow and you learn how to turn it on and turn it off, what your triggers are you can do that but yeah you're you're right on the money those are those are advanced concepts that sell parents and sell kids and it really does no good i I like that that bringing it back when are you writing a book when when, give us give us an update i know you mentioned it off the cuff to me off the air but what's the updates on on your your books coming up and and i want to hear about your the the training facilities up in the north
1: um well the first book um I'll keep my fingers crossed, but I, it's, it's completed. All right. Uh, it's, it's being proofread over a couple of things. Um, I I just want to make sure that, um, the people that know me and and have heard me speak and all that, that it really contains my voice and and not necessarily just a guideline. Um, that's going to be called uh, pitching mastery, a comprehensive guide for youth baseball players. So for the most part, that's going to be, you know, little league age, you know, maybe, uh, what we used to call senior league, you know, so even if we said, you know, eight to 15, eight to 14, um, and some basic concepts, it it, it touches on triple spin a little bit. Um, there's some things in there for parents and players and young coaches. Um, I, I looked at the ending a couple of times and, um, I, I don't know at the ending if um, if there's some references that I'm going to change a little bit. But for the most part, it's done. Um, the craziest thing on, along that as far as the what a small world we live in is that um, I have a new client, and his uh, his mom brings him on Saturdays. And I just had this feeling she was from the Northeast or from New York, and I know the dad's from California, and they moved here from California recently. And actually moved into my neighborhood, which we discovered uh, after our conversation. And she asked me if I if I knew this doctor in New Jersey. Um, and I said no. I said I, I haven't heard of him. And she goes, because um, he's he's always telling me about um, stuff he does with the Yankees. I said, oh really? I said, well I can look into it. I said, why do you want why do you want to know? Um, do you know him? And she says, oh he's a client of mine. I said, oh he's a client of yours. So in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, if this guy's a client of hers, like, you know, I can understand her asking me because I've talked about Vinnie Perez and different things like that in, in, in the New York metropolitan area. And I said, he's a client of yours, So what exactly do you do for him? And she goes, oh, I'm a publisher. I'm a, I'm a, um, I do most of the PR now, but I do the publishing. And I said, you're kidding me. I, I said, uh, I'm uh, working on my first book. And she says, uh, "Well, when when you're ready to go, get give it to me, and I'll send it to my literary agent for Simon and Schuster." <laughs> so that kind of that kind of um, uh, amps up the pressure for me to get this done. Yeah, they're, it's they're just ideas. so funny. You went from
0: independent to corporate now with it, so yeah.
1: I mean, I I thought that I was going to make a you know a a, a, an e book and sell it on Amazon or whatever. So I I still you know because I really don't know anything about that world, but uh, yeah. So um, we'll see how it goes. Uh,
0: Well, we got sixty two thousand subscribers that'll buy it. So
1: yeah, I'm just uh, I I I like this one, and it's a good introduction for the younger kids. but my main work i'm i'm in the middle of it right now and it's it's going to go into some advanced training mechanisms uh, based upon the whole triple spin philosophy and different things and uh i don't know i had a conversation with my brother mike and he he was like jim just some of the things that you relate to me and the things that you've taught me over the years um you know i mean i'm sure if you wrote a baseball book and and it was a training guideline it would be it'd be great but um uh, there's just so much more that you could put in there about uh youth development whether it be on the field or off the field and life and different things and i think there's a lot of lessons to be learned and i really think that the the public would soak that up and and um uh, and uh, because we we've had conversations my my brother uh, besides being the head coach at Don Bosco Prep in Ramsey, New Jersey, um, longtime successful coach is uh, a social studies and psychology teacher in high school. So we've had many many conversations about uh, different educational models and different psychologists. And he he relates that you know there's a lot of a lot of uh, child psychologists, developmental psychologists out there that have put together a lot of, you know, phenomenal uh, theories and practices and programs. And they're not necessarily the ones that have dominated social media. Um, and while he says, you know, hey, the social media guys that you see, and you see the little snippets or the little videos, they're awesome too. But a lot of them are basically working off the models that some of these other people that that the public doesn't even know who they are unless they're in academia and different things. And I. I, that's why I believe my brother is like, you know, you should, you should seriously consider adding some of that knowledge that you have about dealing with, uh, young people and how to motivate them and how to make them feel good about themselves because it fits in right in with, uh, you know, the current trend in, uh, in education. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll see how I can encompass it. So it had me go back to the table a little bit and just look at where I can, you know, add some different things. So um, so now I, now all of a sudden I have a woman that wants to be my publisher. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see. And I don't mind because always in my past, the more heat that's on me, the the better that I kind of, uh, respond. So it, uh, it forces me to carve out time and make sure I get it done.
0: Yep. I started doing that, uh, myself and my goal, and, and I don't want to impose my goal on you, but it gets daunting because, you know, it's like any other like you're dealing with kids, just, just play the next play. Pitch, you know, like uh, yeah. we talk about, do the next right thing. Right. So I set up one of those goals for myself. And I said, you know what? I could write four crappy pages a day. Just put the pen to paper. I'm old fashioned. I don't like the type. And just don't stop writing to you get at least four crappy pages a day. And that kind of relaxed me a little bit to say I could do an invariable, I come up with more than that. And out of that, you know, you do that over the course of the year, if you think about it, you're, you're coming up with 1200 pages, uh, of potential book and, uh, not all of it's going to be good, but I'm sure getting to know you, you're going to be, uh, it's going to be top notch. And, um, I think there's probably a future beyond those two books for you. Cause I think the youth baseball world needs you. And I think once the, the professional world wakes back up, uh, they're going to realize they need you as well. So, um, I, I encourage you to keep doing that again. Our, our, fo- our followers here will definitely support it because they're, they're craving that stuff. That's why they t- tune in every week. But, um, what about your, what about the, the work in the, in, in the Northeast with your brother? and Yeah, then? that's
1: going full tilt. Uh, like we spoke in the past, the, the, we've hit a couple of little snags as far as in the uh, development of the app, uh, because, um, you know, there's certain things that, uh, are kind of basic, but in my conversations with my brother, I'm like, well, some of the things that we're trying to accomplish aren't basic. You know, we have to separate ourselves from, you know, other people's message and and different things. So that's still a work in progress, but, um, the training has been going fantastic. Um, attendance is phenomenal there. They got a full slate of 20 guys there in the program and, uh, they've started the throwing programs. Um, the, the, the mishap I had with the ribs has kind of slowed me. I, I was trying to get up there around the 15th of January, but it, I might have to push it to the end. I don't know if I can, uh, I don't know if I can, you know, drive the 10 hours, uh, you know, in a comfortable state right now, but I'm hoping to get up there um, because all the videotaping and all the mound work is going to start. Uh, the young pitching coaches that we have uh, are developing very nicely under my brother. He he gives me a call. We go back and forth. We've discussed things. We've had Zoom calls and the whole, whole thing like that. Um, so, so far, so good. And I'm just really looking into uh, – you know, getting all the video stuff done and getting up on the mound and see how some of these guys have, um, have advanced just by um, spending an entire winter learning how to move properly and how to train properly. And then I'll lend my knowledge to uh, evaluating all the videos and what the next steps should be. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's for me it's exciting because it's new and so far it's going really well. So we hopefully have it continue along that path.
0: Yeah, well, I'm excited for you. I think it's, it's the right next step. And your voice in writing, your voice in person as you do with the teaching, and then your voice through the app and, and, and uh, through this facility, I, I think it's going to help baseball a ton. So I, I, I'm glad you're doing it. Now, with, uh, with our audience here, we, we want to make sure, and as we, we get wrapped here with our show, toe the Rubber, uh, make sure you support our sponsors, Liquid IV, Zencaster. We did the ad reads early um, to use those. They're, they're great. Uh, Zencaster helped me out a ton, over 400 episodes. I never listened to a podcast before I started doing this. And then with our blackout coffee, Be Awake Not Woke, uh, Jim's code is J-A-M-E-R, all caps 20, at checkout. Get you 20% off your first purchase. Use the code in, in the link for each one after that. It'll get you 15% off in perpetuity. Coffee's on. Copies on coach Jim the rest of 2024. so and then uh, we, we also have a new sponsor with Jaw Bats. great great uh, made bat guys take tremendous pride in In fact Jeff Fry is using one this week in the Boston Red Sox fantasy camp. so I told me better get a couple hits with that thing. Um, so he's got one Tanner started using his so great very well made. very few grains in it maple. you can get 20% off a checkout on anything on their website including bats using RVG caps as your code. And um, with that, Jim, any parting shots for our audience here?
1: No, uh, I think we're all good to go. Looking forward to talk uh, to everybody next week. Um, I'm going to continue to work on uh, some of the upcoming guests, which I think would uh, add very nicely to what we're trying to get accomplished. Uh, sometimes what I find is that uh, if you listen to a couple of different voices saying the same thing but expressing it. A little differently as far as their word choice and how they, uh, you know, uh, express themselves um, in their speech, it becomes a positive because sometimes it triggers different thoughts in your mind and different ways. And then you say, "Oh, that's what that guy was talking about." So, hopefully, we can continue to add to that. And uh, and then as the week goes, I'm sure things will pop up that'll spring things in my mind, and uh, we'll talk about them next week.
0: Sounds good. Well, episode 406 right now in the books. We appreciate what you do. Toe the Rubber, Jim Rooney. Have a great week. Look out for those books. Uh, If you're up in the Northeast, check out that facility and we'll put a lot of that stuff in the show notes. Have a good rest of the week.